Hello and welcome to the next episode of DDR. It's a podcast all about your favorite drow, Drizzt Doerden. My name is Justin, and in this episode, we will be diving deep into Chapter 6 of Homeland, titled Two Hands, discussing all of our favorite plot points, characters, and more. And my name is Jeffrey. If you've made it this far in the podcast, you should know that we're really big fans of Dungeons & Dragons. So one of the things that we like to do is go ahead and discuss how the chapter is going to relate to our favorite tabletop game. Following along with the show is easy. Just grab a copy of the book, read the next chapter, and tune in every week. But remember, we want to hear your thoughts too. So you can share your favorite parts of the chapter via email at drizzdunright at gmail.com. Or better yet, allow us to extend to you a formal invitation to be part of the ongoing discussion on our very own Discord, Drizzed Done Right. You can find the Discord you can find the Discord invitation inside the link of the podcast description. If you can go ahead and raise yourself an interesting point about the chapter, we could bring you up on this show. Well, maybe the next show or the one that follows. We've had a few new people pop into our Discord, and I uh, wanted to shout out Sevik the Gray, Bolvi, Rogue Squirrel, and Bear Man. Welcome to the Underdark. We are glad to have you. Yeah, I mean, we're almost at 50 people in our Discord. I think the last I checked, we're at like 47, 48. It's really taken off, man. I mean, it, it, it's essentially a large enough group to properly start a riot. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, we don't have an invading drow force just yet and able to throw overthrow House Devere, but we are working on it. We are getting close. <laughs> so, Jeffrey, how are you doing lately? Pretty good, pretty good. I actually uh, just got done eating dinner a little bit ago uh, for all of our foodies out there. made myself a nice honey and garlic shredded chicken, homemade mashed potatoes with a little cream cheese in there, and some roasted broccoli. Fantastic. Awesome. Sounds delicious. <laughs> Again, fat kid likes to eat. I just like to say that fat <laughs> no. kid, that's me, likes no. to eat. No, no, we had pork carnitas for dinner tonight. Had some pork carnitas on some rice with some cheese. One of my oh, favorite that meals that delicious. Sarah makes. <laughs> carnitas is a fun play and a, and a good way to use up pork. I, I really do enjoy it because you can use it inside of like a tortilla. You can put it on a bowl. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's very and we, versatile. And we did it all. Like we, we've had leftovers for a few days now. And yeah, we've had it in burritos and bowls uh on eggs you know like <laughs> uh, i love it i love it one of the things i love to do is cook and you know I, I like to just put a little bit of extra effort into most of the things i like to do hopefully our listeners uh notice that when we give them this wonderful podcast yeah well talking about this podcast let's jump right in here we have a special segment and we probably should have started episode one off with this as well but we kind of ignored it and forgot about it but here we're going to jump into a new segment a special segment that shows up at the beginning of every part of the book we are starting part two of homeland and we're going to jump right into the insight check now we are going to roll an insight check to investigate the inner monologue of drizzed so here in Part two of Homeland, we have a letter from Drizzt or an inner monologue from Drizzt titled The Weapons Master. Uh, so empty hours, empty days. It's a haunting way to start the monologue. 
As we fast forward from Drizzt's weaning years through this through his page prince years and arrive at the prep precipice of his 16th birthday, we find that it seemed like one long barren moment for him, punctuated by a, uh, by a sneaking adventure to look out over the magical lights of Menzo Baranzon. The fluctuating light of Narbendel serving as a stark reminder of the emptiness of his early days. These simple trips seemed magical in comparison to his upbringing. The sound of a whip cracking is enough to bring back memories of the fangs sinking into his skin. The magical energy coursing through the, uh, through the body makes the muscles pull and snap beyond their limits. A brutal picture he paints about the way he was raised, the, the way drow are raised, yet still he felt lucky that Vierna was his wiener mother. Is that what we're saying? Weaning mother. Weaning mother. <laughs> weaning mother. Sorry. Weaning mother. But yeah. There's an un, there's a red underline under that. <laughs> That's because it's, I believe, a term that was made up for the book. Maybe. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. So during his first 10 years, even though she was on the cusp of becoming a high priestess, she never showed the intense wickedness of Matron Malice, or Breeza for that matter. Uh, perhaps in these moments she allowed a more gentle side to show through. Even though she was the kindest of his sisters, her words still dipped with the venom, uh, dripped with the venom of Lolth, as surely as any cleric. Uh, so how could she forsake her training for the benefit of one mere male child? So if any joy were found in these in those ten years, surely they were obscured by the unrelenting assault of Menzo Baranzon's wickedness, hidden from his mind such uh, memories could not be recalled. The next six years brought a vivid, singular memory, easily recallable at will to serve as a reminder of his time served at court as a page prince. The lone image is one of his feet. For a page prince is never allowed to raise his gaze. I got to admit, um, when we go through these inner monologues and stuff, these are some of my favorite parts of the books. Like when you get taken outside of the narrative that Robert crafts and writes in the story and then gives you just a, a it's, it's raw a stark drizzed. insight. It's just yeah, raw it's, drizzed. It's, it's exactly what he's thinking. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it, it almost makes me, now you always think like, oh, one more page, right? One more page. Right. It's like, I just want to get one more part down so I can exactly. just end it and then start with another piece of Drizzt's insights. Like, yep. I love it. Yeah, it's great. So that is our first insight check. We're going to take this right into the Drizzt. The Drizzt is the part of the show where we take a look at this week's chapter and we give you the Drizzt of it. <laughs> As we start the chapter, we see the training of the drow in effect. Drizzt goes to meet Matron Malice. Breeza is herding him along with the snake whip, but Drizzt entertains no thoughts of revenge against her or any drow female. The consequences are simply too high. Drizzt keeps his eyes on the floor, like a good drow, and entertains himself by drawing doodles on the floor with his bare foot. The infravision leaves a trace like a kid with a sparkler. I love One. how you brought that up. Sorry. <laughs> because I, I, it's, it, it's perfect. Like, <laughs> like that's exactly how a sparkler is, right? You like, you wave it around in the darkness and you can like, you can write your name and it kind of hangs out there for a brief moment. And just thinking of the heat from his foot, uh, sticking into, into the ground for just that little moment. Like, 
that's a perfect uh, correlation there. And it's also a, a, a good look at his childishness because, like, look, right. if Zach Nafane's off on the side making pictures with his foot, everybody in the whole room, no one's questioning because, look, Zach will crush everybody. Right. But they're going <laughs> to look at him like, what is he doing? Yeah. But, like, Driz, they don't even pay attention to because he's just some little male drow over exactly. there. Yeah. Yeah. One of the designs is uh, Breeza being bitten on the rump by an enormous viper. <laughs> like, I feel like if uh, Breeza would have seen that, uh, he would have been bitten by a viper or six at the end of her whip. Exactly. <laughs> now, we find out in the chapter that this is Drizzt's 16th birthday and Matron Malice demands that he meet her gaze, which is odd because as we found in the inner monologue, a page prince's eyes are kept down, fit mm -hmm. only for crawling things on the floor Except for spiders, of don't, course. Don't look at those spiders. Drizzt is surprised upon meeting her eyes that Matron Malice is cool, calm, and collected. No anger heating her face at all. Did she make him a cake for his birthday? Nope. Oh. Today his prize is to shed the page prince title and assume his place as second boy. <laughs> when, when his eyes slip just a little bit, Matron Malice quickly corrects his attention with a swing of her hand that puts him down hard. Not quite the same inspiration, but mm, inspiration just the same. Malice pulls him to his feet by his throat and explains to continue acting as a servant would bring dishonor to the house. And she would put needles in his purple eyes. Ooh. He knows this would give her great joy. <laughs> Such a motherly lady that Matron Malice I, is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Like after we had uh, gone through the, the previous chapter explaining his weaning to then find out the lady that gave birth to him is that vicious. Like, wow. I know. Right. And so it's like Drizzt, hold on to Vierna and just, I mean, <laughs> keep that innocence, buddy. Yep. We find ourselves, we then find ourselves Zach and Vierna. She's explaining to him the difference in Drizzt that set him apart and maybe above other male children. He's intelligent and talented, but also stubborn and headstrong. Subservience did not come easy, even at Breeze's hand. This makes Zach Nefane smile. They arrive in an anteroom with the entire family gathered. Vierna announces Zach Nefane to the matron, and they take their place beside her throne. Drizzt stands stripped to the waist as Breeze brings a pawafwi to drape across his shoulders while chanting incantations, and a look of elation spreads across his childish face. Drizzt looks around with his newfound privilege and greets Zacnafane, much to the horror of Vierna and the anger of Matron Malice. Zacnafane has to use his hand to keep himself from smiling for fear that he's going to erupt in laughter, Love which is that. a very, very <laughs> undrow-like uh, response. Right? <laughs> Judging by the anger lighting up Matron Malice's face, it would not be wise to do so. Zacnafane quickly steps forward to deflect her anger and tells him that it now is the time for his training. Matron Malice remembers the meeting from 16 years ago with Matron Ben Ray and tells Zac that Drizzt will only learn the basics at his hands as she has designs of sending him to Sorcerer so they may take advantage of his intelligence and gain honor for the house. Zacnafane sees little value in wizardry so he pulls out a coin and asks Drizzt, maybe test it. He tells Drizzt to flip the coin. Drizzt flips it, catches it with both hands at once. One coin each hand. Or then Zacnafane has him put two coins on each thumb. Drizzt easily catches them both as well. Zacnafane realizes that this ambid ambidextrous feat will serve Drizzt best at Melee, Me Melee Magthir as a fighter. Matron Malice, though, is not as easily convinced and holds reservations 
as Zach Nefane may be physically talented in battle and the bedroom, but also a pain in her royal backside with his contempt for the Spider Queen. Zach, <clears throat> Zach continues the display with three coins on each hand, and Driz casually grabs the right three in each hand, forcing even Matron Malice to begrudgingly acknowledge Drizzt's grace. Zach stacks five coins on each of Drizzt's thumbs, holding them for an extra few moments to ensure that the warmth from his hands will light up the coins so that Drizzt and his infravision will be able to see them better. He commands them to catch them all or face Sorcerer, where he does not belong. Drizzt obeys, is confused but willing. The coins soar into the air and he grabs the first two for each hand easily and then he quickly discerns the scattering pattern of the remaining coins is going to demand more. In a blur of motion, he spins in a circle, and with a grin, presents five coins in each palm. I, uh, I always think of like the, you know, the Kung Fu movies when that comes up, and, and the training, and it's just how effortlessly that has to come to Drizzt. You know everybody inside right. of that room is just blown away. Even Malice, who wants nothing more than to show up House Ban Ray, and they're Archmage of the city that lights Narbendale, mm -hmm. even she has to realize that this kid, this kid's a warrior. Right. And um, so I, you brought up Kung Fu movie. Yes, totally. That totally fits there. Like the Kung Fu movie. I'm just like, why not show his promise by giving him like a, a sword and like having him go at something? And I don't know. I, I thought I felt like coin flipping. I'm like, well, this is kind of like, I don't know. But once you said Kung Fu movie, it's like. Oh no! This is totally a kung fu movie move here. Like that's exactly yeah, what they I would mean, do, and it's perfect. If you think about it, if he were to give him a sword right away, the, the child would have no idea what it, to do with it. He right, would flail. Exactly. He would have no yep. form, no grace. But what he does is present him basically with a skills challenge, and right. realizes that he has grace. He's deft of hand. He has good speed, uh, balance, footwork. It's all presented in simply catching a coin. Right. Simply, I say, but uh, I think I'd have problems with one coin each hand. If we're being <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And 10 coins all together, and then you have to catch them all in the correct hand and everything. Right. Now, While I, spinning. Like, if he would have yeah. simply done a backflip, landed on one foot, and went, ta-da, <laughs> it still couldn't have been much more impressive. Right. I mean, do a backflip and catch one coin, and I would be very impressed. <laughs> I don't think I caught the the fact that he warmed some of the coins. Or did yeah, he warm I, I, all of them? He warmed them all. So when he put them on his hand, it was the first time with the five coins. Uh -huh. He uh, holds his hands there a little longer. And I thought that was a really cool thing to bring up because right. the body heat from his hands would transfer to the coins. And, and if you have infravision, the biggest thing or the biggest benefit that you could give somebody is to let them see the targets clearly. And a coin right. doesn't carry heat. So, so when he imbues that warmth in it, it glows just a little bit more than it normally would. So now... Is he try? Is Zach trying to be kind of like tricky here? Is he trying to, like he's trying to make it easier, right? So, I mean, I guess my point is, Malice would also be able to see that the coins are brighter, right? Yeah, but that's where I think that <laughs> he didn't use a spell or anything else. You know what I mean? It was just simply. Okay. You know, instead of just placing them there, I took a, a, an extra two seconds, you right. know, just to give him that little bit of an advantage. Okay. Yeah. Uh, even Matron Malice is suitably impressed and declares he shall be a fighter and perhaps one day become weapons master of the house. The only drow not impressed? That's Risen, who's acutely aware that everyone but Drizzt knows 
Trizd is not his child. What? I think right? this is the first time we heard about this, right? In this chapter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, they do kind of like draw allusions to it where you realize that uh, Drizzt, or not Drizzt, <clears throat> Drizzen, Drizzen <laughs> is, uh, Sorry. you know, like, no, he's kind of like weak and uh, got no spine, right. kind of like that. Yeah. All the actual, uh, you know, characteristics of a drow that most female drow like, push him around, keep him down. Yep. And then you see that they're, you know, Drizzt obviously is not the same. So they, they do, they, they draw or they, little hints here and there, but I think they really bring it out in this chapter. Yeah. So, I mean, we find out who his dad is, right? I don't know if they explicitly say it, but yeah, I believe so. Because they do, yeah, no, they do. Because they, they, they right? mentioned that uh, from his loins. Right. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do find out that Zach Nefane is Drizzt's father. And things just start clicking into place here, right? I mean, we're we're seeing a young Drizzt that is very unique from other drow males. Uh, just very innocent in a lot of his ways. Uh, he's, he's, I don't want to say he's, I don't want to make him sound dumb, but he's like not picking up on a lot of the customs of drow society, right? Um, yeah, the indoctrination is not going as well as hoped in certain ways. And right. it, it makes sense, again, when you understand the the mindset and the ethos of Zagnafane, who has no time for the preachings of Lolth or the mm -hmm. machinations of the drow and what they go through in order to scheme and plot. Right. He's got no time for it. And it's like, well, does he have no time for it or does it not stick? The I, same I, way you see it doesn't yeah. stick with Drizzt. It would be really cool to get a little bit of, of a backstory on Zach Nefane and see just exactly how similar to Drizzt he was when he was his age, when Zach Nefane was as young as Drizzt. Because I feel like it probably started, it probably starts as a, oh, I, I really don't understand this, I'm not catching on. And then it's eventually just like, no, this isn't right kind of thing. But anyway. Sorry. It's either that or just being repeatedly beaten over the head with a board that, that uh, you see doesn't really suit your temperament. Right. I mean, I know that they do have, a, a you know, further books down the road, insights into Zach Nefane that, you know, hopefully one day we're going to get to. Yeah. But uh, inside of this book and at chapter six so far, we have not yet learned. Yeah. <clears throat> Zach Nefane then leads Driz down to the large training hall and explains there's only one room here. Which is kind of funny because Driz looks around and says, but look, there's three. And uh, Zach says, <laughs> nope. One is his private quarters and they are off limits. As is the war room to which access has to be earned, not given. So Driz looks at the cramped room. As Zach Nefanes explains that this is going to be where he sleeps, eats, and will relieve himself. If, and it had better be clean if he does. <laughs> Driz attempts to use his newfound status to ask about his mother with Zach Nefane quickly correcting him by giving him a quick fist-sized nap. Yeah. Puts him out for a little bit. <laughs> Zach offers a second nap if Drizzt cannot control his wagging tongue, a curled hand at his side is all that's needed for Drizzt to concede. Zach Nefane shows Drizzt a most magnificent rack of weapons of all sorts, leaving the youth wide-eyed in wonderment. He commands Drizzt to take his time, and pleasure getting to know the weapons. For when training ends, one of them will become Drizzt's trusted companion. Zack leaves Drizzt with the weapons and looks back with a chuckle, seeing the boy awkwardly handle the heavy halberd. The chuckle quickly fades as he remembers that his duty will be to turn Drizzt into a killer. Hmm. Alone in his chambers, Zack wonders if all drow children possess such innocence, much like Vierna did in the earlier chapter. Having trained a thousand young drow before, Zach, before him, Zack wonders now if Drist is unique 
and why? Because they share the same blood? Or perhaps the years with his ween mother? Zack falls asleep wondering what might have influenced the drow more, and becomes, uh, and then he dreams a nightmare of the screams of children being hacked apart by other drow that Zack Nefane had trained. He awakens from the horror, determined to believe that this one will be different. Hmm. I love the end of that chapter. Right? And, you know, obviously that's where it does go out to point out. We do find out Zack is his father. Right. But to, to see how he looks at his responsibility inside of the society is is really sad. I mean, mm -hmm. Zack is a great warrior. Everybody right. celebrates him. Everybody thinks he's just the bomb, you know? And Zack is torn and conflicted because right. earlier when we saw he will not watch the kill squads go in and hack up the nobles, you now find out that uh, one of the further reasons he refuses to do so, he trained those warriors. Right. Right? He is responsible for the vicious acts that they take out on, on the innocent, really. I mean, yeah. obviously not all drow are innocent and they all have to be you know, treated as such. But in regards to that, there's still children drown. And, you know, see Zach Nefane does wonder about, you know, do they all have that innocence? Is he responsible for snuffing out the innocence of so many young drow? Not maybe firsthand, but, you know, by proxy. Right. Ooh, it's horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's got to have a lot of sleepless nights. Oh, yeah. So Ooh. that's going to bring the drizzed up nicely, tie it with a bow. We're going to slide that into the dim light reel. Why don't you take it away, buddy? The dim light reel, that's where we cast darkness on our favorite parts of the chapter and dim light all of our favorite characters, events, descriptions, and more. So I'm going to scroll on down to my dim light and my dim light for chapter five. Nope, we are in chapter six now. I got the wrong chapter listed here. Is Drizzt's transition from being a page boy to being a second boy. Uh, so Drizzt has spent his entire life figuring out the rules of being a page prince. Um, did I say page boy? Uh, page prince. Maybe. Uh, I might have. <laughs> I have page prince right there. But anyway, uh, so the rules of the page prince is basically serve all the no nobles in House de Warden, Keep your mouth shut. Keep your eyes on the floor. But avert your eyes should a spider enter your gaze. You know how hard that's got to be when you think about it? Like anything that's got legs and crawls and enters your peripheral, you've got to automatically assume at first glance might be a spider. <laughs> right. Well, Earth yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, I think it said at one point, like the most interesting thing to, is like watching all those creepy crawly things going by. But if it's a spider, don't look at it. <laughs> uh, so we know that uh, Drizzt did have a difficult time learning those rules to begin with, right? So he, he had this natural tendency to look at whoever was talking to him until Breeza basically beat that instinct instinct out of him. Uh, and so now the poor guy is, he's reached 16 and he has to figure out new rules as he's been promoted to second boy. And that means all of a sudden that he's allowed to look at people in the eyes. So Matron Malice is trying to talk to Drizzt, informing him of his new title She's insisting that he maintain eye contact during this discussion. Uh, he, you know, he's not a servant anymore. And it, to act as one, he's going to, like you said, he's going to um, dishonor the family. So for 16 years, uh, looking upon her face would have resulted in a thrashing. And 
now he's expected to make this change in an instant where all of a sudden he's allowed to look at her in the face. So that during- is a crazy bit of like mental warfare when you think about it, I, because it's right. really like it's leading you to water and teaching you to drink. And then after a while, when you go to drink the water, it's backhanding you hard enough to let you know that you do not bend down to drink the water. Like, right. but, but wait, you told me every other time. That's what I do. And it's, it's like the ups and downs really to keep him like unbalanced and unsure of his station yep. in life and this family. Yeah. And I can tell, like, I can say, um, I myself, I don't, I don't know. Like when I'm in a conversation with someone. Are you a page prince? I I feel like I'm more a page prince than I am a second boy. (laughs) I don't always like it. It is difficult for me to maintain eye contact. I have to actually work to do that. And to think that I would get like slapped in the face if I like dropped my gaze, that would be, oh man. Anyway, I'm I'm ironically the other way around. Once I found out that most people don't like to make eye contact, I've I've always like forced myself to just like maintain eye contact. Like even when I'm playing poker at a table, you know, people try to hide tells. I was like, no, I'm staring right at you. Look at Uh, my eyes. I got you. I got you. I got you. Okay. All right. I thought you were saying like, um, you know, that a lot of people don't like maintaining eye contact. So you're going to work at like making yourself better to maintain eye contact, but no, you're going the you're going the next step and saying like you don't like this, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> it also works to hide what you feel. You know, so like if you're feeling meek and diminutive, well, no, no, I'm not. I'm staring right at you. Right? I, I'm not. I'm not hiding emotions. I'm right. all right here on the surface. <laughs> so during this discussion, I think I said he in- instinctively drops his gaze numerous times. Uh, he does catch himself once and brings his ba- his uh, gaze back to Malice just in time to get smacked upside the head, knocking him down to the ground. He does maintain his gaze the whole time. Like, did he finally learn, like, just within that moment? Because, I mean, I say finally, like, it was like three times, but um, maybe he learned now. So um, later in this chapter, though, Matron Malice summons the family to a formal meeting. There, Drizzt receives his very own Powafoli in a very uh, ceremonious fashion. Uh, Breeza chanting incantations, like you said, during the whole process. And the second after Drizzt is donned with his new cloak, he turns to Zactophane without, without hesitation. And he's like, hey, dude, it's me, Drizzt. I can look at you and talk to you now. My mom said so. <laughs> And then a pen can be heard hitting the ground for miles away. Oh my word. I love that moment. So right after Drizzt realizes his mistake, I mean, he sees... uh, Malice's head is probably so hot that it's not even registering on on the infravision scale, right? (laughs) She's probably just fuming to the point where she's about to go nuclear. Um, And it really shows you the the difference because right when he first saw her face cool calm collected she had no right. anger and then in an instant she is like, like zero to a hundred yep. boom real quick yep Verna's jaw is touching the floor zach is literally using his hand to pinch his lips together and prevent himself from laughing Brisa, so quick to use her her whip is fumbling because she's so surprised by her brother's actions like just that whole scene just makes them feel so much more human yeah just in a way because it's like nothing is going right here everyone's just like what (laughs) 
I don't know. It's just so goofy. I love it, though. I love it. It's um, almost like a good comedic moment inside of a, uh, you know, very dark and dangerous place. You just get that, yeah, and, you know, that, that moment of brevity. And if there is ever a comedic moment, it's most likely going to be my dim light reel. I just, I love comedy. I love when things just um, don't go the way they're supposed to in a funny way. It's, it's great. <laughs> uh, so this poor drow, like I said, he's, he's trying to come up with these new rules and he trying to figure out these new rules and he's just too confident for his own good just jumping right into that conversation with Zach Nefane and um so he also seems to be a little bit more excited he he seems to be excited that the strictness of the rules seem to be lessening and that he's branching out and um but it kind of got to a point where it almost feels like he forgets what it means to be a male in a drow society. So it's, it, it just made the, made that uh, scene all the more funny. But anyway, that is my dim light. Jeffrey, what do you have for the dim light this week? Well, I decided to go with the struggle of Zach Nefane. Since he was first introduced in the book, he's been a favorite of mine mm-hmm. and probably favorite of like meh, everybody's, but yeah. I digress. I think that the moral struggle within him is so intriguing. When we see him in the chapter, in this chapter, he's walking with Vierna, who is explaining how Drizzt is not like the other drow. Like I said before, he shows intelligence, strong constitution, struggles with the simple act of keeping his gaze on the floor. This defiance is something that Zach Nefane is known for, so he sees a little bit of himself reflected in his son. Mm-hmm. The similarities between Zach Nefane's view on Drizzt and Vierna's experience last chapter get even more similar. Drizzt looks upon the weapon master with that childlike smile an innocent smile as he explains his promotion to the weapons master. This is the moment that Zach sees for himself that Drizzt is able to maintain a bit of himself throughout the beatings and the training that he's received this far. And it makes him almost break out in laughter, which is odd to see a drow express joy without murder being president, without murder being present. It was almost present. It was close, (laughs) but you know, Frieza can't get to that whip fast enough. <laughs> this is exactly the difference in Zach Nefane that draws me to him. Yeah. Zach steps forward to defend Drist from Matron Malice and champion the cause of him becoming a warrior instead of a wizard. I think part of Zach Nefane wants to spend more time around Drist, his son, in order to try and shelter him from the wicked world of the drow that he has such contempt for. I feel like he's definitely proud of his son and maybe expressing just a little bit of actual love. Mm-hmm. which seems a bit blasphemous among the drow. The struggle comes when showing Drizzt the weapons, seeing the joy in his face and realizing what lies ahead for him after his training with Zach Nefane is finished. Much like Vierna in the previous chapter, Zach wonders if all drow are like Drizzt before they are conditioned to hate or if he's unique. And if he is, why? Was it the time that he spent with Vierna? The fact that he is Zach Nefane's son, or is it something else? Now, Zach Nefane's trained a thousand drow children before Drizzt, who have gone on to do terrible things as all drow do. His nightmare, I mean, at, at the end, is horrifying as he hears the screams of children, like the ones that were hidden uh, in the hidden room at the house at the fall of House Devere, which were then shredded by soldiers Zach had trained, just like he will train Drizzt. Zach is determined that Drizzt will be different. This is essentially for me. It's the nature versus nar- nature versus nurture argument. Oh, totally. 
is it Drizzt? Is it who Drizzt is or how he's raised? Can Zach Nefane cultivate the best version of Drizzt? Or will Drizzt forsake his potential and become just another drow? Zach Nefane clearly has contempt for drow, yet he's proud of his son and concerned that he will become that which Zach Nefane loathes. It's fascinating. It, it really is. It really yeah, is. Yeah, it brings us the earlier, before we had uh, the talk of political oppressions and oppressions of people and how to keep people down and those stupid surface elves. And now we're looking at, uh, you know, a psychological expose inside of a character and, you know, nature versus nurture, what, right. what leads to who we become. And it's like, it's all set in this just fantastical world. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. So, I mean, so you know, now that I've put a little bow on that, it's a uh, pretty dark over there. Don't be too afraid to go dungeon delving. The Dungeon Delve, the part of the show where we link this chapter with our favorite tabletop RPG. Now, we play 5E. Uh, Jeffrey, I don't know if we necessarily want to be saying... I mean, this this episode's going to come out, what, in two weeks on the 30th, right? January 30th. So by then... Maybe Barring complications, yes. Maybe they'll have everything figured out by then, but I know that Wizards of the Coast was coming out with a new... What do you call mm-hmm. that? A new license that could possibly make things a little difficult to... Um, to publish things for Dungeons and Dragons if you're a third party uh, without giving Wizards of the Coast a little bit of a cut of your share. So, but anyway. Um, or the ability to just give them your entire intellectual property. Right. But uh, no, I did read uh, somewhere, and you know, I, obviously I, I don't know the whole ins and outs of it all, where it's going to land. But I did read somewhere that the backlash from the fans has caused the Wizards of the Coast, or the, the, president of hasbro ceo right Pat, the guy right. in hasbro who does things <laughs> to uh kind of pull that back and walk off that statement just a little bit like, yep. i think when he said it he probably was like hey guys this is how we make money check this out yep. and then when everybody was like no you don't yeah. it was like wow <laughs> that many people care apparently there is a massive uh a mass exodus from D beyond because of it the um the subscription service and everything and so I don't know. Well, uh, we continue to enjoy Five uh, E. Um, you know, we have the materials to. I mean, I, I I feel like as players, it doesn't necessarily affect us directly. But um, I guess if we start making money off of this podcast and we say, "Hey, we love D and D," then they'll probably come asking for money. I don't know exactly how that works, but anyway. <laughs> if you guys need to come and ask us for money from Wizards of the Coast, you can email us anywhere except for drizzdunright at gmail.com. Literally anywhere else. <laughs> we will get back to you when we get a moment. So the Dungeon Delve, like I said, that's where we connect um, this chapter with our favorite uh, tabletop RPG. So my Dungeon Delve this week is a very, very special one. This week, I'm going to be discussing our very first listener submitted dungeon delve so thank i like that i like (laughs) that thank you sevik the gray for your suggestion i know i oh that was one of the guys i gave a shout out to earlier on for the discord right he's new right and he jumps in and yep (laughs) if you bring something to the table that we find interesting we worked it into the ep that's amazing that i like it (laughs) that was not planned that way like um 
you had that section all put together. I had this section all put together. There happened to be that overlap. Hey, Sevik showed up and he delivered, right? Uh, I did put a message out there where I was just kind of like, you know, I read this chapter and I didn't see any like real clear D&D connections. And Sevik was like, hey, I got you. This is what you should do. So um, let's let's go into it here. So for some chapter context first, remember that in this chapter, Malice wants Driz to attend uh, Sorcerer. Uh, to become a powerful wizard, while Zactafane sees Drizzt's natural ability uh, that would make him a good weapon wielder. So, the question is, how do you persuade a matron mother? That has to be a difficult task, right? I mean, this is like the the, the matron of House de Worden, ninth house of Menzo Baranzon, out of 64 houses, right? So, she has to be extremely powerful, extremely wise, extremely intelligent. So that has to be a difficult task. Also so, quite violent, very intimidating. And I would prefer that you try to persuade her before I do. <laughs> so, of course, in the chapter, Zack leads Drizzt through a number of dexterous acts involving coins and catching them, and which ultimately convinces, uh, which ultimately convinces her that Zack should be able to to train the second boy. Uh, Sevik brought up an awesome point concerning this this um, event, this plot point. Um, so when it comes to the tabletop game, we have a few different ways that you're able to approach a situation much like this. All right, when you are, when you would like to persuade someone in the game, the dungeon master might ask you to role play out your persuasion. What exactly would you like to say to the non-player character? What? Uh, how exactly would you say it? What is your body language? He might, your DM might want you to actually role play this out. These are all things that the DM could then score when you're persuading the NPC. And depending on how you roleplay the situation, the dungeon master might just be like, yeah, you did good. And you were successful on the on the persuasion without the need of rolling any dice, which is something that I, I really like that you're able to do. But here's what is really beautiful about this game. You don't have to be charismatic to be able to make a successful persuasion check. If you're uncomfortable with the role-playing aspect of the game, the Dungeon Master uh, might just have you make a charisma persuasion check with a, like a, you roll the d20 to see if you're successful, right? The DM can then describe how you were successful or how you were unsuccessful depending on how you rolled. Uh, I know sometimes, I, sorry, go ahead. I think that's part of too why every group needs a good dungeon master All right so everybody loves to play everybody loves to roll dice and hack up little goblins and go treasure hunting right well most people do but it's really an experience that's that, that can be tied together by having a legitimately good dungeon master you know like i know for you know shouting out that you do the voices you make up characters you come up and breathe life into the surrounding people so yeah we we get to play our characters we get to you know, get as rich as we want in it, but you also help bring to life the rest of the world. And you know, could you imagine having five, uh, was it critical role that uses the voice actors, having five players who are fantastic and right. they're like, well, I will go and do this. And then the dungeon master like, 
um, persuasion <laughs> check. Yeah, right. You got it. Yeah. It's just it's like it's like a wet fart in a blanket. Like that's no fun for anybody. Right. <laughs> so I I will say like, um, but what makes what makes a good DM though? I f- I feel like one of the best things, or one thing that makes a DM. Um, the best that they can be is really just knowing their players, knowing their players and knowing, um, knowing how they want to play. Right. Um, and you know, like, well, yeah, you have to have a little bit of selflessness, right? Not selfishness, right? A little selflessness because it's not so much about how you want the game to go. It's about uh, how to best weave together the personalities before you so that everybody gets to enjoy it. Exactly. Exactly. Some people might want to, uh, I was actually looking it up in the dungeon master manual before, whoops, uh, a couple hours ago. Um, where was it? I should have left this open there. There was a section toward the beginning of the dungeon master book. Ah, it's on page six. Actually, it's very early on where it's know your players. How do your players want to play? Do they want to focus on their acting, exploring, investigating, fighting, optimizing, problem solving, or storytelling? Like there's a lot of different ways you can play this game. And just one of the, one of the best ways that you can be a DM is just know your players, know what everyone wants to do. Uh, That makes it fun for them. And uh, you know, sometimes it makes it difficult if you have, two players in the group that want to do totally different things. And so it it can kind of, um, you know, they can kind of get on each other's nerves because, Oh, you're, you're (laughs) metagaming too much. And the other person's just like, I'm just trying to have a good time here. I'm just trying to role play. And you know, it's, you know, so the, that's where one of them gets eaten by a dragon. (laughs) So I know, um, going back to this, uh, charisma check, versus role-playing sometimes what i would do is i would even have my players do both as you probably um you probably know uh so it isn't quite so like if the player role plays out what they want to say you know we're we're not the best role players that's perfectly fine we're trying we're you know we're having fun uh but maybe the conversation isn't quite enough to fully persuade the npc so then as a dm what i do is i take that persuasion and i say well instead of having to roll a 15 now you have to roll a 10 because it was good but it wasn't perfect and it kind of makes that persuasion check just a little easier for them to roll so anyway um i I also wanted to go into this idea that tabletop rpgs um, I mean, they're designed to get us out of our own bodies and into someone new. They're and also into these um, fantastical worlds, right? Um, but they're, we're being put into someone new, someone spectacular, someone quirky, someone whatever, right? You get to choose who your character is, so you get to be that person. So not everybody that plays is immediately comfortable or even capable of uh, thinking as a completely different individual. So that's one of the reasons role-playing has been used in all sorts of therapies throughout the years. Uh, It can help you see the world through the eyes of others. It can lead to better communication skills and just so much more. So if your DM asks you to role-play out a situation, this is kind of going back to the idea of 
your DM should know their people, right? They should know their players. If your DM asks you to role play out a situation, if you aren't totally comfortable with it, that's fine. Just ask if you can describe what you're trying to do and roll for it instead. Heck, I mean, again, the whole point is you're being put into someone else's body, okay? If you're, so like in the game, if you're trying to throw a dagger at a goblin, your DM isn't going to have you throw an actual dagger at an actual target, right? At least not most of the time, probably. <laughs> That's kind of getting... The wall does get expensive to replace. <laughs> so why why would you be expected to role play out a persuasion you know when maybe that's not your strong suit being a charismatic person right now i mean the whole throwing a dagger thing that's kind of getting more into larping territory which i have nothing against quite the opposite actually i know you brought it up on the discord a couple weeks back um you know it's... can't wait to help people with sandbags that are marked red fireball <laughs> bam right in the face sorry gary <laughs> I would be really interested to at least observe, maybe try once. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, that's that's my dungeon delve. That's our first listener submitted dungeon uh, dungeon delve. Thank you, Sevic the Gray, for your suggestion. I hope that I touched on that sufficiently. Uh, so hey, if anyone else would like to have their name uh, and suggestion read out during the show. Make sure to send us an email or join our Discord and get into the discussion. And you just might hear your name and your suggestion on the next show. Jeffrey, your Dungeon Delve for this week. Well, I chose to try to keep things a little basic and simple and how to choose your weapon, right? Dungeons and Dragons is a game that can be as complex or as simple as you want it to be. The world is our oyster, at least until Hasbro tries to take it all away. Your character is uniquely yours, and you control the backstory, the appearance. You build them from the ground up, and since the game includes dungeons, inside of which sometimes there be dragons, it's important to choose something to defend yourself with. As we saw in Zach Nefane's armory, you, you have a wide array of weapons. To start, there are simple weapons and martial weapons. Simple weapons require little to no training. It's like clubs, daggers, light crossbows. They also do happen to deal less damage. Damage isn't the only thing, though, that you're going to want to consider when choosing a weapon. It's definitely important. However, you do have to hit in order to deal damage. So martial weapons, they include longbows, great axes, long swords. They deal a whole lot more damage, but they do need training. And not all classes are going to start with proficiency in them. So remember to build accordingly. You know, I always like to think about it as, you know, like Drizzt has uh, two scimitars, right? So whips them up and he's Not yet, he doesn't. No, no, but he, he, will. he will. I saw it on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> but most chances, if you're starting out as a level one character, you're not going to be able to just proficiently double wield the weapon. So you're going to have to figure out, at least until then, what are you going to use? And as a recourse, you know what? You don't want to be disarmed in combat with nothing to use. So I know that we found ourselves early on in one game having everybody essentially use you know, swords, clubs, something of that nature. And then we faced a flying bad guy <laughs> and uh nobody had anything to hit it like, what do we so do? we had to resort <laughs> to throwing objects at it and attempting to hit it in the air which again is a uh, very weird mechanic if you just aren't prepared for it yep <laughs> so drow they've got proficiency uh, proficiency in hand crossbows rapiers and short swords this makes sense mm -hmm. logically given their size and agility 
you know, do you want to get into the thick of the fighting? Do you want to keep a distance? Do you want to dance through melee like a ninja? Also, remember, if you do get a ranged weapon because you don't want to get into the melee, you're going to need ammo. So you've got to purchase it and you've got to make sure you're not just firing blindly into the sky because when you no longer have any bolts for your crossbow, you now have an improvised club. <laughs> now, Jeffrey, you don't you aren't required to keep track of ammo, are you? No, my DM is a very nice individual who does not make me have to buy an arrow every time I go to the uh, armory or town. <laughs> I mean, I would half expect you guys to, but I definitely do not keep on top of you guys with that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that, again, you, what you were talking about earlier, know your party. We would all have bows and no arrows after right. like the second day of adventuring. <laughs> it's either that or we'd all buy so many arrows, we'd be too encumbered in order to continue. What, what do you have in your backpack? 900 arrows, Johnny. <laughs> Which, yeah, you oh. want to bring up encumbrance. You know I don't keep track of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, again, because then I would never get treasure out of the dungeon. I would be trying to drag it. He walks out with the entire dragon's horde. <laughs> and the dragon. Uh... Another important thing to consider is your damage modifier. So as a drow, most likely you're not going to have strength as your highest stat, unless you are this buff, ripped, massive Conan the Drowbarian. Like Breeza. <laughs> <laughs> right? She probably would have a high strength check now that you mention it. But the uh, you know the drow not having strength would make the large halberd that Drizzt grabs first just a bit awkward, as we see. You know, just judging another weapon, say the scimitar, for example, it allows dexterity to be your damage modifier, as the slicing weapon is going to be used more with finesse right. than with power. You know, one thing that uh, a friend of mine always brought up to me when I was growing up is that, like, you know, I always thought Dungeons and Dragons is the, you know, it's all, it's all on the sheets drawn down, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you look at life, you can, you can look at it like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I am a six foot three, 260 pound male. Do I have proficiency climbing trees? Well, maybe as a child. He's like, so if you ran over to that tree and tried to climb it, I'd set your skill check at about a 12. You know how you know how to do it? You've got decent upper body strength, but you're also a little heavy and got to pull it up. It's like, Huh. So the, the way the mechanic plays out inside of D&D &D is much in the same way. You know, I'm going to attack you. I want to do damage. How is the damage done? Well, it's slicing and stabbing. It's not so much like, you know, swinging like a club and trying to beat you to death. Well, then I don't need strength. I need dexterity. And my hmm. character's build would reflect that. Hmm. You know, one last thing to remember, everything has a cost and a price. Sounds similar, but the price might be in gold while the cost might mean that you're not able to use a shield because both hands are in use. Right. I hope you enjoyed this cursory look into weapon choosing. But remember, you create your character in D&D. It's one of the most beautiful things about it. You're not limited to meta builds. You can choose to build something outside the mold and enjoy the oddities and complexities that it's going to bring. Nobody says you can't be a buff drow who swings a great axe with savagery. If the dice roll well, you can do it. I mean, I know for me, some of my favorite characters have always been uh, the oddity, right? I, right. I played uh, a character that was a Ninja Turtle, essentially, and I <laughs> wanted to be a grapple-based monk. I mean, who really wants to get in there and fight with their hands and grapple everything? I thought it was just such Man, a neat mechanic. You ruined so many things with that guy. What was his name? Tazlu. Tazlu. Taz. Man, you ruined so many encounters by running in and grappling the guy. I'm just like, I can't compete with that strength. <laughs>
Yep. I built myself a tank that was very strength based. He was a turtle and uh, he, he would just run in and grab things. And yeah. hopefully other people were able to come in and stab. But I would uh, if I had to use weapons, most of the time they were improvised weapons. Yep. Grabbing sconces right. off the wall, throwing tables, chairs, whatever, you know, whatever's <laughs> nearby and handy. Yeah. But I mean, I, I hear a lot and I, I don't want to sound like I'm throwing shade at people that do this. But um, like, uh, what do you call it? Like min maxing? Where it's like you know you're you're choosing the race the class the 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 best race that goes with the best class to do whatever you know and then um, that's what I was saying with with a meta build where you're like oh right. you know you're gonna be an archer you should choose the the race that gives the best bonus to agility dexterity and then you want to choose right. the class that gives you the you don't have to. You can completely you build it the other way. Like Absolutely. we have a bard in our current party <laughs> that can't sing. <laughs> You know, how weird is it to come across a bard that doesn't use vicious mockery at every turn? But I can honestly tell you, I don't know if he listens to the show, I thoroughly enjoy the fact that it's a different type of character. Oh, absolutely. You know, the way he's forced to play it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, like, what was it? The first week he kept getting uh, encumbered by fatigue because he wouldn't sleep because his right. character was so nervous and anxious. Like, yeah. he was specifically giving himself limitations and handicaps that affected his gameplay and like again i as a fan of watching it loved it thought yeah. it was great oh he did a great job. i mean he's doing a great job uh, i really enjoy watching where shaddy goes as we run around the area <laughs> so well jeffrey i guess that just about does it for episode six here so uh thank you everyone for listening remember that if you like the show give us a five-star rating also make sure you get the most out of this podcast so pick up a copy of the book and read along with us don't have time to read remember that audiobook right there touch of the finger tap of the keyboard take it with you wherever you go vacation in the maldives going to japan to meet Haraku. share it wherever you may go when you're done reading the chapter, shoot us an email. DrizzedDoneRight at gmail.com. Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, not welcome. <laughs> or you can log on to our Discord and join in the discussion. Remember, we still got that link inside of the podcast description. Fire in through there. We'd love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. So, Jeffrey, it's been a blast. Now, it's time to say goodbye. A blast? Uh-oh. Better watch out for cavens. <laughs> I cast guess we better ball. make a quick exit. <laughs> <laughs> farewell friends be fair be well play fair be well <laughs> 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 <laughs>